Hello and welcome to another episode of the League One Lowdown. It's been a very action-packed week in England's third tier. So, without further ado, let's get going. I am your host, Matt Olsen. As ever, I'm joined by two guests. I'm joined by Joseph Trone. Joe, how are you, mate? Yeah, yeah, not too bad, mate, not too bad. Obviously, uh, come back last night in the uh, in the League Cups cheered me up a bit, but uh, yeah, not too bad, man. Yeah, good man. And uh, with Alex Broom unavailable uh, today, we've got uh, Jake Tong stepping in once again, as he did uh, just over a week ago, as he filled the space left by Alex very nicely. Jake, welcome again to the podcast, and how are you, mate? Uh, thank you, very good, very excited for tonight's game against Everton. Well, it's been a bit of a bad week for us, so... Anything to talk about anything other than Lincoln, I suppose. Well, that is uh, something that uh, we can do. I mean, obviously, you talk about being a bad week for Lincoln, but it's been a majorly bad week for Barry. And that's the first topic we're going to go on. It's only fitting, really, that we do. They've been expelled out of the EFL after 134 years. It's been well documented, all their problems. Um, they've basically got a lot of sympathy from every football support up and down the land in England. Um Obviously, Barry not the only club, of course, they have been expelled, but Bolton are in serious dire straits as it is. And they are, um, at the time of recording, on the verge of liquidation. But that, of course, could change over the next couple of hours or next day or two. Um, let's start with you, Jake. Um, the big thing with Barry is a lot of people have criticised the owner, Steve Dale. They've criticised the authorities. Um, I, I want to get your thoughts on it. Um, I want to start with the... The relevant body, so the EFL in particular, there's been a lot of talk about the Premier League maybe helping out, the FA, the PFA, where have they been? Have the authorities failed Barry Football Club or did they fail Barry? Um, I think to an extent they have, especially um, the EFL, you know, the fit and proper test is in place so that this sort of situation doesn't happen in the Football League and, you know, to, to allow a businessman like Stephen Dale to, to walk into a football club having his past experience in business uh, has really sort of, sort of showcased over the last couple of days, specifically now that they're out of the, um, out of the EFL. But, you know, the, I think the PFA have done, I, I don't think you can blame the PFA or the, or the Premier League because they're sort, of, they're sort of innocent bystanders, especially the, the PFA. They're play, there was that interview with Dawson on, on TalkSport with Jim White and, and Dawson had said that the PFA had been paying at least half of his wages, I think. So, um, but yeah, as I say, it's mainly down to the AFL for their fit and proper test. So, we obviously talk about this fit and proper person's test. We have to talk about Stephen Dale. For me, he is to blame, but um, he was. it was not his fault that they were splashing the cash, giving out three-year deals for the likes of Jermaine Beckford, players like that, spending money. That's not his fault. The fault lies with him in the fact he's pledged that he was going to put money into the club. He bought them for a pound. Uh, he hasn't put any money in. It sounds like. We don't know the full extent of it. Um, he, he, I mean, it was extraordinary that he came on the radio on Friday night. I think it was on BBC Five Live. And he said, I didn't know Barry had a football club. Now, you want somebody to take yeah. over a club that is in serious problems um, at, when he took over to sort of know the extent and to know the, to know the team, to know the town and, and, and to know all that. Um, what, what sort of, what's your thoughts on the whole Steve Dale debacle? Because he's almost tried to act sympathetic, but it's, it's not working for a lot of the supporters, is it? Mm. I mean, uh, it's, it's, just a, it's just a joke, really, the whole situation. And of course, when you get to this point where you're being kicked out of the football league, it's always going to be an accumulation of issues. Um, it's not going to just be one 
guy, one problem. Clearly, the, the debts that Berry have racked up over the years, you know, just reading just into it a little bit yesterday, some of the debts and some of the loans they've had to take out that you know they can't pay back, it's just it's really been just an absolute horror show over the last few years at Berry. Obviously, Stuart Day was the previous owner. He he was the one who sort of racked up those those um, those bills they couldn't pay by bringing in players like Harry Bunn, uh, Jay O'Shea, Chris Maguire, Jermaine Beckford, those sort of players. That that summer, I think we all look back on that summer and we were all wondering at the time. I think you know how, where are they getting this money from? And clearly, they didn't really have the money. Um, so it's obviously he started the problems, I guess. And even before then, I think Barry financially had not been in a great place for a number of years. Steve Dale came in and, you know, the guy, he didn't even have a fit and proper test. He didn't even need to pass one. Um, and he's had 46 companies um, that have been liquidated. He's, he doesn't even like football. And from the interviews I've heard, he sounds like one of the most delusional vultures I think I've ever seen in, my, in football. Like, I, I can't believe like this. And this is the real issue at the, at the end of the day is that how people are like this are actually able to buy football clubs. You know, talking about Bolton as well, Ken Anderson banned from being a UK director of any company for eight years and then a couple of years after that he's in charge of a football club like a great football club like Berry, um you know with you know some amazing history and you know founding members of the football league and somebody who was actually banned for eight years from being a director of any UK company is actually able to go and buy them that is the real issue at the end of the day you know and the EFL can't do they can't control everything they can't stop you know owners from buying players they can't afford and putting the club into difficult situations. But what they can do is stop people who are likely to go and do that from walking into football clubs. Like they, At the end of the day, they had no choice really but to kick Berry out of the football league yesterday because they can't keep postponing games indefinitely. But they should never have been allowed to get to that situation in the first place. They should never have been allowed to get to that situation in the first place. So, you know, really there needs to be big change within the EFL um, regarding this. There needs to be strategies. Um, there needs to be, you know, when you buy a football club, for me, you need to be able to, you need to have to put aside some sort of money, some sort of trust fund or, you know, some pot um, of money aside in case of these situations. So at least you can pay the players and pay the staff. Um, and clearly there needs to be some sort of independent financial regulator that, you know, can actually delve into the um you know delve into the finances of these people who want to buy football clubs actually prove they can run the club efficiently because clearly Steve Dale and Ken Anderson have fallen well short of what um those the, the, the sort of supporters of those clubs deserve really and um yeah it's a disgrace really isn't it like it's, it's sad like I don't know if you saw that um that old guy that um that viral video like that guy who's been going to bury for over 70 years you know and now he's just not he's, yeah. just not got, he's, now he's just not got a club to support now it's just it's just an absolute sham and you know the fact that it's been allowed to get to that stage and obviously you know Berry and Bolton that you know it's more than just a club to people it's a community it's a it's a it's a feeling of um belonging to a football club as we all know um and to just not have a club anymore it's just uh you know it's just I I send shivers down the spine to think of you know obviously my club not being around or you know yours Matt or Jay you know yeah, just, yeah, absolutely. you can't you can't even imagine it like it's just and just this to be allowed to be happened, I just, yeah, I know I've gone on a bit, but it's just such a mm. horrific situation. No, it, it is an interesting point to make, I think, you know, you make the point, it does put things into perspective, imagine if that was the team that you supported all your life, and you put your heart and soul into supporting them home and away, and you, you saw it fall dramatically um, down, and, 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 you know, have to rise again. Um Jake, I want to come back to you again because you've sat there and patiently listened to, to, to Joe, making some really good, Joe making some really good points, to be fair. Um, what do the EFL need to do to change in the future? Because you can't help but feel that this is going to be um, 
something that's not going to happen again. I think there's been problems in the past with Macclesfield that have been well documented. Um, OK, Notts County have dropped out into the non-leagues pyramid, but they had financial problems as they were leaving the Football League. What do they need to do um, in order for this not to happen again and to make sure that the remaining 91 clubs, well, probably 90 clubs in the EFL, um, you know, aren't, aren't in the situation that, that Barry and Bolton find themselves in? I think they've just got to revamp this whole this whole test, and they've got to do their they've got to do proper research into the into the lives of these business uh, these businessmen. At the end of the day, football is not football is fastly going into into a business into a business world. When you know, to especially to us three and, and Broom and everybody else, it, it's it's for the fans. It's for the. Um, I think I've heard I've heard a lot of people saying that, that football clubs should become fan owned, like they are. Like a, like a, there's a lot of clubs in Germany that are fifty percent owned by. The supporters, which I think might potentially be a good idea, but but I don't think the, you know the EFL can can sort of put that into place. Um, but in terms of the EFL, I think the test has to be a lot more thorough, and uh, they they've just got to do the research really. To me, it almost just seems you two that the fact is that the EFL over this last couple of years has just tried to just almost be too greedy. It was always a division, you know, the Premier League is just getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, and bigger every year. I mean, it's, it's hard to think of a business model where you make profit every single year. Um, and, it's, and it's completely changing the whole landscape, isn't it? You know, you've got the Premier League money to the EFL money. It's vastly huge um, compared to other leagues. Look at Italy, look at Germany, look at Spain. Um, it, it just makes you think that, the, the the high figures in the EFL, I think, have, have, have been have tried to be too greedy. They've tried to just get trade up more money. You've seen a lot of clubs, especially in the Championship, get foreign owned, and and that's starting to become a real bigger divide than than Leagues One and in League Two. Do you think that that's something that you two can agree with me on? The fact is that lower down and the whole EFL scheme, the chairman, where whatever the <clears throat> the board members are, they've almost tried to. They've got too greedy, and they've just tried to almost make it more money because the EFL was all about community. There's so many clubs, you know, fans pay hard-working money um, to go and watch their team home and away. Um, there isn't a lot of money in the towns in some places um, that are, you know, teams are in the Football League. And it's almost now they've just tried to become greedy and they've wanted too much money from fans. Do you agree with that statement? Or do you think that maybe that's a bit, um, you know, a bit brash what I said? It's just like, well, really, there, there is not enough. There's not enough money, but it's the, it's the owners that are becoming greedy. Like it's the it's the owners, because at the, the end of the day, EFL, as much as they uh, are at fault clearly for the, you know, it's under their sort of um, leadership that they've that this has obviously happened. But the, the owners, like Berry, when they spent like all that money on those players a couple of years ago, uh, Maguire, Bun, you know, all those players they bought, like they've got they they didn't have. Um, uh, any extra investment, and they get gates of about three to four thousand. Like that's not sustainable. Like it's just not sustainable running of clubs going on, you know. And and it's also, you look at like another case like Yeovil. Like Yo, when Yeovil got promoted to the Championship, they just went all out to try and stay up. And now financially, you know, they've obviously been screwed so much. They've gone down to national the national league within a few seasons. Like it's just overreaching. It's trying to overreach yourself. Whereas really, if you just try and stick within your means and try and develop, maybe. Cl players from local players, young players, maybe you'd be able to financially support yourself a little bit better. So, as much as you can, you know, obviously, um, hurl criticism the EFL, you've got to look actually at the owners and how clubs are actually doing things. You can't just blame everything on the EFL. Like, you know, it's not the EFL's fault that, you know, that Stuart Day inexplicably 
bought 10 players that they couldn't afford in one summer and then, you know, tried to hide it with a few loans and, you know, sell the club. And then, you know, it's all caught up on them. You know, but it shouldn't have been allowed to get to the first that stage in the first place. Like, Steele Dale shouldn't have been allowed to take charge of Berry. Ken Anderson shouldn't have been allowed to take charge of Bolton. And that's pretty much the, the, the main point. But, yeah, I mean, those two clubs have just over... Especially Berry, just overreached themselves. Like, you're, you're, you're a small club in a difficult catchment area in Manchester. The two, one, two of the biggest clubs in England are from Manchester. It's a difficult... Like, you, you can't... You're not going to get big crowds, are you? Like, how are you going to support yourself? How are you going to support financially if you're just splashing cash like that that's the it's irresponsible ownership is the there's one of the big issues um but yeah the efl shouldn't have been allowing that to happen that's the the main point but yeah um you know clearly it's we're in the richest era of football in this country and there's clubs dying i mean it's just doesn't it just doesn't even make sense but there you go you know he's got it but lessons have to be learned from this that's the main thing lessons have to be learned from the efl and from club owners that um you can't clubs can't be run like this pretty much you make very good point, certainly uh, about the owners. I think um, everybody sort of is not giving the the sympathy to to Stuart Day, to Steve Dale, or Ken Anderson, of course, who respective owners of, of Bolton and, and Berry. Um, I think it's more to do with just the club in general, so the staff, the fans. I mean, Berry, we saw some unsavoury scenes, didn't we? We saw a an ex secretary um, tape herself. Uh, well, chain herself even to to the ground. We saw a coffin outside the reception. We saw a fan actually try and um, break through the doors um, of Geek Lane when it was closed. So it just shows um, unsavoury scenes. Um, Jake, do you have anything to add on what Joe said or do you um, hold a different viewpoint? No, I, th- I think what Joe said was right, but there's obviously there's, there's one group of, of uh, people we haven't sort of mentioned yet. It's the players and the staff of, of the football club. They've gone through, you know, the, it's such a shame to see because obviously we, we got promoted with Barry last season. They played some unbelievable football at times. They were probably the best footballing team in the division. They had so much potential going into into League One. And it, it, it's just a shame that, you know, half of their, a lot of their players haven't been getting paid for their wages. And see a lot of people are now waking up to, to not having a job and, it, it's sort of it's one of the saddest uh, sights of seeing football and players. Um, you know they're not getting paid. They, they can't support their lifestyles anymore because of of stupid decisions by the people in the suits. It's it's going to make it interesting, hasn't it, for these for these Barry players and, and and in particular Bolton players. I mean, I think I saw somewhere a lot of Bolton players haven't been paid uh, been paid. Sorry, um, in sort of six months. I know Phil Parkinson was working basically for free as well as a lot of the staff, before obviously Parkinson did depart. It's the same with Berry. I mean, we heard Stephen Dawson on a cry for help on TalkSport say, look, I'm going to lose my house. I'm going to lose everything. I haven't had the wages paid to me. And they had a bit of a <laughs> singing match between him and Steve Dale, um, which I think was around sort of uh, just, uh, just under two weeks ago now. We're going to see now a lot of these players come out and there's going to be a lot of, you know, they're going to say, I've lost everything. They're going to do various chats to, to, to the media. Do you think that there could be some serious implications to um, organisations like the EFL? Because I think I remember there's been some rumours about that Burry players are going to try and sell, uh, sorry, sue the EFL um, over the, the, the problems. Um, they're obviously trying to sue Steve Dale um, over this. Are we going to start to see where these players come together with their families and make a standpoint and say, look, enough's enough. We haven't been paid. We don't have a job, in particular Barry's case. Anyway, we don't. We haven't been paid. Um, are, are we going to see them make a stand and say, "Look, 
if we have to take this to court to get our money, we'll get our money. We're not trying to be greedy, but we're trying to feed our families and, and pay for our bills at the end of the day, just to show them that they are human. Are we going to see that? Or do you think that maybe they might just sort of wait a little bit? Possibly, possibly, but at the end of the day, the EFL have got this. Got to be a watershed moment, really, in the in the running of the EFL because they've got to learn lessons themselves from this. That's what I'm saying. Like, you know, the, 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 there are people suffering, as you know, and they're going to try and, um, you know, obviously get justice for the people who've, who've sort of put them in that difficult situation because there are players at Berry who've signed contracts. They're not, you know, they've, they've they've fulfilled their end of the bargain, but they haven't got anything anything back. So clearly, there needs to be, you know. They need to be compensated for for that um, those issues. Who's going to you know foot that bill? Who who knows? Like who knows what's going to happen? Really, I don't even know. Like Berry, I don't know what's going to happen with them because they've only been expelled from the EFL. They could still reapply, I think, for another league next season. I don't know what's going to go on. So you you've got to look at the situation and think. You know, the EFL need to at least make changes with their own, within their own organisation to make sure this doesn't happen again. That's pretty much got to be the at least you know it's a shame that a club has need to you know two clubs have needed to get to this point for us to learn lessons, but it needs to happen now. Like it shouldn't have, it should have been done before. Um, but it's 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 looking like yeah, of course, you know they need to go and you know Stephen Dawson losing his house. Obviously, that's a, a pretty bit of pill to swallow. But yeah, I mean. We'll have, to, we'll have to see what happens over the next few weeks. It's going to be interesting to see how the EFL actually react to this because there's a lot of sort of hate and vitriol being thrown their way from fans and uh, they need to respond to that by making changes within their own organisation. Jake, one thing that um, always it makes it look a lot better is just the players' professionalism in this serious dark times for a lot of these players. In particular, Berry, you know, and Bolton, of course, obviously they did lose a large amount of of players who, who went on to, to, to clubs um, all over the country. But the players that did stay there, they trained, um, in particular Berry's players. I think, you know, they, they carried on training. They, even though they had problems with the club, they were still prepared to get themselves fit to play games for the new season. Obviously, a lot of Bolton senior players sort of went on strike. OK, you can understand the point, but their young players still trained hard when they were probably having financial issues of themselves. That's something that has come out in and, and made it just a little bit better on what is a horrible, horrible episode, isn't it? The fact that they've been so good and just carried on, you know, um, trying to do their due diligence for their club. Yeah, I think the one, especially, especially the one player that comes to mind when you talk about that is uh, Robbie Matthews at Bolton. You know, he's, I think he's appeared in, in all, all their games that they've played this season so far and you know, fair play to him. He's he's dropped down from Norwich, and he's. I think he was on loan there originally, but he's gone there permanently now. And he's if he's doing his end of the bargain and not getting paid for it, then it's fair enough. You know, he's definitely a good enough player to to play at this at this level, regardless of, of whether Bolton cease to exist in two weeks or not. But I also think it says a lot that um, a lot of the players that came up with um, with Berry, the likes of Danny Mayer and O'Shea and a lot of the players they went down a level to Plymouth didn't they so um, yeah. it's, I think it says not a lot about their professionalism but also the allegiance that that squad of players last season had with the manager because he's gone down to Plymouth as well so you know they had to get their livelihood sorted out they had to get themselves sorted out in the long term and I don't think you could really blame them at all for leaving Well I think we've, we've covered um, all bases in terms of Bolton and Berry's dire situations obviously it is a shame for Berry uh, of course, Bolton, it does look like they're going to be um, on the verge of liquidation. Of course, a collapse of a takeover happened on Saturday. We hope they can find a solution, but we know that time is ticking. They've got an extra 14 days, if not 
they are um, facing the prospect of leaving the EFL. Moving away um, from Bolton and Berry, let's look at uh, a side in Gillingham, who obviously we talked a little bit about pre-season and, and before the season in the podcast. Obviously, they made a wholesale number of changes, a new manager. Um, as we know, Steve Evans has got a reputation of being a bit of a wheeler and dealer. Um, he didn't have the biggest budget at Gillingham, but he brought through a lot of good players through the door. It was looked on paper quite savvy bits of business. Um, the likes of Jack Bonham, um, Willock from Manchester United, um, just to name sort of two of, of a few. Um, Joe, with the amount of large players that have come into the club and the manager trying to get his philosophy across, are you surprised to see them winless so far after five league games? A little bit, yeah, a little bit, especially because Steve Evans' teams usually are um, not ones that great to watch, but they do score goals. You know, they do. You know, they are quite difficult to beat. So, considering at the moment they're not scoring and they're shipping goals for fun, you know, it's uh, it's not a, a brilliant recipe for success at the moment at Gillingham. Which, uh, yeah, but the thing is, he was never met really with much fanfare walking into the club. Was he, Steve Evans? You know, I don't think many Gillingham fans really wanted him at the football club. Obviously, he comes in with a, uh, a not particularly favourable reputation, and yeah, I mean. Two points for the opening four games. They've just scored. They only scored four goals in those uh, in those games as well. It's really been um, a tough start for Gillingham. Um, but yeah, I mean, already you know fans on his back, wanting him out of the club. Again, I think it's a bit too soon for that. Um, Steve Evans is a proven manager at this level. Whether we like him or or loathe him, I'm sure many people loathe him. But you know, over the years with the jobs he's done. He has had success, but he, this was the thing walking into Gillingham, wasn't it? You know, he's had success, but he's had success with money. And with Gillingham, the, the budget has not been, and the size of the football club perhaps hasn't been as big as maybe the, um, some clubs he's managed in the past. Rotherham, Peterborough, he had a massive budget at Crawley. Um, he's not got as much, um, he sort of, uh, much money to play with um, this this time around with Gillingham, and maybe that's exposing him a little bit, you know, and, you know, without being able to sort of completely revamp the squad with with big money signings. Maybe he's not quite as good a manager as we uh, as we thought he was. But yeah, four games in, and it's not a particularly impressive start. They need to they need to get wins under their belt, um, and they need to do it quickly because the fans are already actually beginning to beginning to turn. They've got um, at the moment they're scheduled to play Bolton on Saturday, which you would hope for them. As as bad as it is for Bolton, that that could be you know a freebie, a bit of a, a bit of a freebie, and uh, you sort of get the three points um, on, on the board. Um, but yeah, they need to start um, turning some of these um, some of these results into wins, and uh, needs to start doing it quickly because already the Gillingham fans uh, are not particularly happy with Steve Owens. Yeah, sorry, I do apologise. They have played four games. Of course, they were supposed to play Berry uh, a couple of weeks ago, but of course that game was. Uh, called off. Jake, what do you think it's been down to? Um, you know, obviously a lot of people could probably say it's the fact he's got a whole new team practically. He signed, I think, 12 new players over the summer. He's got to bed them in quickly to get into what he wants. Is it his philosophy? Um, what, what do you think it comes down to? Because what I've seen from them at the moment, they have shown some signs that they are slowly getting into, into life in this division. I mean, Coventry, Towards the end of that game, um, they they had good opportunities. They had a good effort right at the end. I saw the highlights. Excuse me, a couple of days ago, um, got a good result against Blackpool. Um, okay, they were um, you know two two nil in front, but you know you would have took a point at home to a side that obviously has started very very well to the campaign. What do you think? Um, the problem. I is? think. I think. I well. I think Steve Evans is a massive problem within himself. You know. He, he, as Joe said, and as you said, I was he's not got a great reputation. Um, you know, he he needs he sort he's one of those managers 
you know, it's been said before, he needs money to succeed and he's not, he's maybe at Gillingham, they're, they're one of the lower budgets perhaps in the league and they have, he's, he's sort of showing his, his weakness and uh, I think he definitely showed that, you know, he's, he, he had a lot of troubles at, at Boston United before, you know, he took on most of these bigger jobs that he's had and he, he was found out and obviously he, he caused them to get relegated uh, twice in, in the space of one season, so... Uh, I think Gilliam, I think Steve Evans, he likes to play, a, 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 he has a winning mentality. I think you can't knock that from him. And he's got a lot of new players. They probably need a little bit more time to gel. I think four games to be calling for a manager's head at, at this point of the season is a, is a little bit probably too far. But I think if, if the Gilliam fans give him a little bit more time and you know there's new signings, get, get, get to know each other's games and you can see these relationships building on the pitch. And I, I, I don't fear for them in terms of Relegation, but I I can't sort of see the preseason hype that there was around around them really. It is interesting. Do you think that maybe um, one of you two jump in the fact that maybe Tommy's his departure played a part? Okay, um, you know they they have got Alex Kubiak who's um, who has scored three times so far this season. He scored three of their four goals. So do you think that that might be a little bit playing a part as well? The fact that they did lose such a a key player for them in Tommy's. We did rave about a lot when we were, you know, talking about Gillingham during the uh, last season. Hundred percent, hundred percent. That's one of the biggest issues they've had. Like they've, they've, the goal scoring has been one of their big problems. They've not really signed a, a what I'd call a proven striker at this level yet. So yeah, hundred percent. That's a massive, massive problem, and it's not really been solved. Um, you, you know, to be fair, Steve Evans is is often can, you know do some decent business in the transfer market, but I still don't feel he's really signed a, a, a proven uh, top striker yet for Gillingham. So um, that needs to be, I think it's probably still going to be on the top of the shopping list um, in the sort of last couple of weeks of the um, of the, of the window. Uh, a striker is definitely needed for Gillingham, but they have conceded goals as well at the other end. So uh, they, took, they, as you mentioned, um, against uh, against Blackpool, you know, they um, they got their noses in front Um you know, they uh, went 2-0 up and then threw it away. It's just, like, they need to stop shipping goals as well. But, of course, again, at the weekend, um, they uh, lost 1-0. They didn't score. They only had three shots on target. You know, they need to start um, being a little bit more potent going forward. That's for me, I think, is the biggest issue. And I think the, one of the reasons why that is an issue is because, uh, obviously, they've lost one of their star strikers in the summer. Well, we talk about one side who haven't won um, yet in the league in Gillingham. One side who is unbeaten is Doncaster Rovers. They really have gone under the radar in terms of the start they've made to the season. Of course, Darren Moore arrives at the club very late from uh, Grant McCann. Um, they've had some good results so far. They beat Lincoln on Saturday. Sorry, Jake, mm-hmm. uh, to remind you again. Um, they've obviously drawn with Gillingham, who we were just talking about. They drew away at Rochdale. They beat Fleetwood at home. Um, and like Gillingham, they've played four games. Um, Jake, I'll go to you first. What have you made of Doncaster's start? Have you been quite surprised given that they have lost a lot of key players? Or do you think that maybe this is something that uh, is is not very unexpected? Um, having seen them play on, on Saturday, I can't say I was massively impressed with, with the way that they, that they, that they played. But... I think you know to go from to go from losing the manager and they lost a lot of key players. Obviously, Marcus went to Portsmouth and Wilkes went back to Leeds to go and play up and play up a division. 
Uh, I think they've they've done well. They've replaced they've replaced quite a few of the players. Obviously, I think they've got Niall Ennis on loan from Wolves. He was absolutely unplayable on um, on Saturday, specifically the first half. You know, he was turning Michael Boswick inside and out, and it got to a point where a lot of our supporters were very supportive of Michael Boswick, but a lot of a lot of our supporters were saying it's time you know need to get him off and bring Bolger on because he just couldn't couldn't deal with the pace, but. You know, uh, Coppinger as well. He, he was he was running the game on on Saturday, and it's good to see that he's still um, still still going around doing his thing. But you know, the manager. I think Darren Moore's got them playing sort of. I noticed this on Saturday. A very a very sort of counter attacking sort of football. They they latch onto you very quickly, um, Doncaster, and they and they like they like going forward, uh, especially like through the wide areas. They were very good going wide and and getting crosses into the box, and I think that's eventually how they scored, albeit. A mistake from George Grant, but we won't talk about that. But you know, I think I think under Darren Moore, they've got a good manager. Uh, obviously, he did he got West Brom to the playoffs last year in the in the in the league above, which I don't think is anything to be sniffed at. And I think that they could definitely be a, a they could definitely be a cause for Doncaster to to finish in the playoffs this season. Yeah. Well, I think the the, the thing that strikes for me with with Darren Moore, he's certainly used the loan market um, to a good extent. I think Doncaster are a club who do heavily rely on loans. I think obviously Wilkes. Last year was a stroke of genius from from Grant McCann. Obviously, you see the likes. He's added five loan signings already, and um, Kaziah Sterling, Cameron John, Niall Ennis, both from Wolves, Senny Dieng from QPR, and Ben Sheaf from Arsenal. Um, is that is that something that he's he's almost felt that he's had to you know he's had to deal with the fact that you know you don't want to mean any disrespect to Doncaster. It's not the most attractive club to go to. Okay, they did finish sixth last season, but and obviously their budget isn't as big as that. So almost he's had to to be very smart on his recruitment. Joe, is that something that he's done very very well and played into his favour? Yeah, I mean it, it looks quite decent on paper so far. What the um, Doncaster managed to do, considering the position they perhaps were sort of looked to be in at one stage when they sort of were losing all their players, their manager left. It looked as if. You know, Doncaster might struggle this season um, because it's not easy when you when you sort of everything that was sort of good about the club last season sort of ripped out and got to replace it. Um, it's, it's a difficult job, but it looks as if at the moment, yeah, he's sort of done a, a decent job there. And more uh, to be fair, like I, I, it has surprised me a bit because I thought it might be a little bit um, there might be slow going at the start of the season considering how much change there was there was over the summer. It might take a little bit of time for the new players to gel and everything to come together, but. Um, I, I did believe when they appointed Darren Moore in the summer, that was a really good appointment, and that was something that was, you know, um, perhaps going to uh, sort of reignite them a little bit. Um, and yeah, they've done they've done all right. You know, I think uh, it'll be interesting to see how they sort of develop over the over the season. Obviously, it's still only four games they've played. Um, so yeah, let's see after ten, fifteen games where they are. But yeah, I mean, obviously they finished sixth last season. Um, and let's see if they can do it again. It'll be interesting to see where Doncaster finish. It was quite a difficult one to predict before the start of the season. So, um, uh, you know, to be fair, they made quite a strong start. So, um, yeah, fair play to Darren Moore. He's, he's, done a, he's sort of made a good start. Yeah, the start of football, obviously, is something that Jake pointed out there. I mean, obviously, at West Brom, he did favour an attacking style of play, which, which did win a lot of suitors. They scored a lot of goals, didn't they, West Brom? They were quite entertaining to watch. Some were surprised. He did get the sack, but he's obviously ended up at Doncaster and it's certainly not made, it, made him look like he's a beaten man. I mean, their next six games are arguably the six toughest you could face in the league. They've got Rotherham at home on the 7th of September, of course. I think they were due to play Berry this weekend, but obviously, given their expulsion, that's uh, not happening. Uh, Ipswich away, they have next. They have Blackpool at home. They've got Peterborough at home then. And then they end September with Coventry away and then they have Portsmouth at home. 
That is six tough fixtures. You can, it would be very, very hard to imagine they'd stay unbeaten through that. But if they could get a good run of results, mm. um, and that'd be, that'd be the end of 10 games, could then you start to look at them if they would get to more positive results than negative and think, you know, maybe they could do it again. Maybe they could get into the top six if they can pass um, these set of six fixtures um, with good rather than bad. Anyone, one of you two, feel free to jump in. That's a, that's a good test. To be fair, I didn't actually realise that, that those were their fixtures. That's actually a really good test. To be fair, like you want to see them tested over the next six games. They can come through that flying colours. I, I I will start to take up and sit uh, sit up and taking a bit of notice about them. I think that's a that's actually interesting. I didn't know that. I think you've got to throw in the um, the leasing cup game against Lincoln as well. Obviously, that's quite a difficult game, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> you know, I, it's it's a fair point you do make. I mean, okay, let's say, you know, obviously then seven games. I mean. Um, it, it is tough, isn't it, on paper? I mean, you know, as I said, it would be unthinkable that they would go unbeaten through that given the, 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 the size and the, the, the clubs that on paper are better than them. But you don't win on paper um, in football, as, as they often say. Right? We now move on to match predictions. Um, it's been quite an interesting few predictions that we've had over the course of the season so far. And there was a lot of good games to pick from this week weekend. Um, but I think we've... Uh, Managed to pick three good games. Let's start with Blackpool and Portsmouth. Obviously, Blackpool um, have drawn their last two um, to Rochdale and Gillingham both away. They're back on home turf against Kenny Jacket and Portsmouth. Um, obviously, a few weeks ago, there was talk of, of Jacket. There was a lot of Portsmouth fans saying negative comments towards um, Jacket about how maybe they feel that he's done his job and that it's time for him to step aside. Um, who wants to start off with a score prediction for this game? I think you know Blackpool when we played them, I did, they weren't that impressive, and obviously they've not um, they've drawn. Uh, I think the last yeah they've drawn the last two, have they? Blackpool? Yeah, to Gillingham and to Rochdale. Yeah, I mean there's two not not great results, and they probably they didn't really deserve to get three points against us either. So. They may be second, but again, it's just I think we might see them suffer a little bit of a dip over the next few weeks. I'm just I'm predicting. So I think Portsmouth, who are in desperate need of points, desperate need of wins, and to relieve some pressure on Kenny Jacket, I think they might get a result actually in this one. I'm going to go with um, one nil to Portsmouth. I'm going to go with with two one to Portsmouth, so it makes it two wins um, for Portsmouth in that respect. Jake, with Portsmouth, they do seem this team. Over the course of the regular season last year, when they needed to pick up a result the most, they did get it. Is this one of those occasions for them this season, or is it too early to say? Um, do you know, I, I'm going to go against you two. I don't think uh, Portsmouth are going to win. I think Blackpool are going are to turn them over. I think Blackpool are going to win. Uh, really think? You really I, think? I, I think I think Blackpool are going to win one nil. Okay. Um, I think that you know, obviously Portsmouth are, they're playing tonight, so they've got a shorter uh, rest period. Uh, as well, which which is a massive factor. But um, obviously, their last their last league game, um, Coventry, they let they let a two goal lead slip like the, like the way they did, and I don't think that's going to do anything for the players' confidence. And I think a long trip up to Blackpool, you know, you know, you know, people say it shouldn't affect the players, but travelling can sometimes be a factor. And I just can't see anything but a Blackpool win this weekend. We now move on to uh, Peterborough versus Sunderland. Sunderland have been top of the bill for predictions so far, haven't they? They've obviously played Portsmouth. They've played Ipswich already this season. They are away at London Road to Peterborough, who absolutely um, destroyed MK Dons last week, winning 5-0. Um, I'll get a prediction for this. Um, 
they are the draw. They are the one-one draw specialists. I think I'm going to have to go with it again. I just think Sunderland um, are capable of, of going away to a bigger team and, and producing a draw, making things tough, very tight. Um, of course, Peterborough, as we know, do like to be on the front foot. I think Sunderland will just almost say to them, "Look, come and break us down," and we'll then try and um, hit you on the break. Essentially, um, that will give Peterborough though a lot of confidence. Winning away at MK Dons, as we said, a very tough place to go. Um, and, and not just winning, but winning comprehensively. Um, so I'm going to say one all for this game. Jake, what's your prediction for this game? Uh, I think I'm going to go for a Peterborough win. I think the, the confidence that they've, they've picked up from, from beating MK. You know, we said last time I was on this podcast that, that Peterborough were, were, were due for, to, to absolutely, you know, batter somebody. And they, they did that against against Southend and then against MK Dons on uh, in the week. So I think I think Peterborough are, are at home, uh, I think they're probably just going to edge it. I'm going to go for a 1-0 Peterborough. And uh, Joe, what's your prediction for this game? Are you going to go one all, or are you going to go with a win for either side? Um, it's Sunderland. It's going to be 1-1. One, one. <laughs> I think every time we've done Sunderland, I think you might have actually gone one all to be fair. Yeah, that's, that's uh, it. Sunderland one one. There you go. And now we now go on to Oxford versus uh, Coventry. Um, obviously, Coventry have started the season brilliantly, haven't they? I mean, they've won three games at home this season, yet to concede beating uh, Southend, Gillingham, and Bristol Rovers away from home. Um, they got a stunning comeback against Portsmouth, um, where they were three one down with nine men and managed to come back to draw 3-3. Oxford, of course, lost their last two league games, but did win the League Cup in midweek. Joe, this is a game that worries you, given Coventry's decent, well, flying start, not flying start to the season, but good start to the season, and given Oxford's poor form. Is this a game where you think, you know, Oxford can turn up and produce a performance and a win? Uh, I hope so. I hope we can win. Um, But, yeah, I think, obviously, um, over the last three games, we... um, especially the last two games against Rovers and uh, Burton. We haven't been good enough at all. We need to improve. Um, we played, I don't know why, on Saturday we played 4-2-3-1 again. We moved into, um, last night playing Millwall, played a 4-3-3 with a holding midfielder and we looked a lot more solid, I feel. Hopefully we, we play that system against Coventry on Saturday um, to try and nullify some of their attacking threats. I'm sort of hoping that they might... Um, Obviously, they're in good form. They're up in the top six. They might look at this and as sort of bowl up and expecting to win, and we might catch them off guard. That's what I'm hoping. But yeah, I'll probably take a draw at this stage. I'll probably take a nil-nil draw at this stage. That's what I'm going to predict. Wow, nil-nil for Coventry Oxford. I would never <laughs> yeah. fool that from you, Joe. I'm, I'm trying to be optimistic, two... mate. That's fair. <laughs> I'm going to go two-two. I think it'll be an exciting game. I think, as we know, on Saturday, I think Oxford were were a team who. You know, they did move the ball very well, but their attacking threat really wasn't We were rubbish, there. mate. Just wasn't, say it. We were... wasn't there as much as I thought it was going to be. Um, but, you know, if they can turn up and they can play the attacking way they can play, I think that they can hurt Coventry. As we know, they love to attack under Mark Robbins. So I'm going to go with a 2-2 draw. Jake, are you going to go with three draws for this game or are you going to go a win for either side? Um, I am. I'm going to sit in the middle and go 1-1. I think both teams are, uh, can score goals and... Uh, specifically, you know, they've got two. There are two number nines that can be on the pitch: Matty Taylor and and Godden, uh, Matty Godden, that that can score goals. And I think these two are. They're probably. I'm going to be bold enough and say they're both going to score if if they both play. So um, no, I think they're going to. Hopefully, it slows Coventry down and and they uh, they get a point. So yeah, I'm going to say one one. Well, to be fair, uh, Matty Taylor, you get a seriously bad injury 
at the Memorial Stadium last weekend, so I'll be amazed if he's actually running yeah, up and down, to be fair. He's out for um, the next two months, mate. At the Kassam Stadium. Is he actually? Uh, yeah, he's out for the next two months. <laughs> Is he actually? Yeah. Oh, oh I've missed well. that. <laughs> I do actually, I'll take that back then. I apologise for that. Um, so that brings an end uh, to the podcast for this week. Um, my thanks go to uh, Joe and Jake for their uh, brilliant uh, input. And uh, thanks as ever, lads. Yeah, no problem, mate. Thank you, Arzi. Nice to uh, of course, the podcast will be out later on uh, various platforms. Uh, uh, obviously, follow the Spotify account. Follow the Twitter page at L1Lowdown to uh, get the uh, news from League One uh, and England's third tier. Uh, have a brilliant week and uh, good luck to all your teams.